Welcome to Converge Coffee. I'm Sean Sullivan. I'm here with Eric Deckers. He is the president of Pro Blog Service, a content marketing agency with clients throughout the United States. He is also the co-author of Branding Yourself, which will be on this episode, No Bullshit Social Media, and the Owned Media Doctor. Eric has been blogging since 1997 and a newspaper humor columnist since 1994. He has written several radio and stage plays and numerous business articles. Eric was the spring 2016 writer in residence at the Jeff Kerouac House in Orlando, Florida, and now serves on their board of directors. As for his company, Pro Blog Service, it is a ghost blogging and content marketing agency that writes, edits, and publishes blog articles on other, for other companies to help them be found online as, and be seen as experts in their field. Thank you, Eric, for being on. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm doing well. Eric with with a K. So everybody let everybody know, Eric with a C is not the right spelling. Eric with a K nope. is the right spelling, right? Those people <laughs> spell it wrong. Yes. So um, you've, I mean, your background, we've known each other here. Um, you've written a lot of books, well, three books, but they're really good books. You've done a lot of writing. Um, so out of all those those writing things, why did you co-write Branding Yourself with Kyle Lacey? Well, uh, Kyle, and there's actually a fourth kind of secret book that I've written. Uh, it was Kyle's Twitter Marketing for Dummies. I ghost co-wrote half of that, and, uh, and we had such a good time doing it that we decided we wanted to write another book together. And we... Uh, we were thinking about ideas, and uh, at the time, this was in 2000, late 2009, early 2010, that we were working on this. I was well known around Indianapolis as sort of a blogging guy. Kyle was well known as a social media guy, and I had spent uh, the previous three and a half years kind of getting to know people around the city. Uh, you know, when I started working at this direct mail company in 2007, I really didn't know anybody. And so I started going to all these networking events, uh, both, you know, in early morning and after hours. Uh, I go to, I went to all these webinars and seminars um, and just started meeting people both online and then meeting them for coffee. So uh, over those years, I had met literally hundreds of people and so were you became saying that known you coffee with them. Yeah, you could you could say that I converged <laughs> coffee and we converged our minds and made one big mind. Um, but go. I got to know all these people and got to be known as Mr. Blogging Guy around the city. And so Kyle said during our, our initial brainstorming meeting that we should uh, write a playbook for the guy that I was three years previously and tell him how to get to the point where I am now, or, you know, it was in 2010, and create a playbook. What was that strategy? What did I do? What did that look like? What are some of the steps that we can systematize and replicate for other people? And that's how that book was born. So we uh, we got to work and came up with that one. We pitched it to uh, Pearson and their uh, Q business technology line, which was uh, had, or which still does have their office in Indianapolis. And they liked it. They bought the book, and we produced it in about uh, five or six months. That's awesome. So, you know, 
Training Yourself was actually the first book I read out of college. Oh, um, really? Yeah, so yeah, the background, I didn't know if you knew this, that uh, it took me about three months to, get a, to actually get a face-to-face with Kyle because he was the exact target now, Salesforce Marketing Cloud. And uh, so he was like, you know, here's the book, you know, how to brand yourself online. And he said, uh, also, like, you know, hey, you know, talk to Eric. And I'm like, oh, who's Eric? He says, oh, he's the guy that helped me co-write this. So that was the first um, almost inspiration for me to, uh, and to, to develop an online brand. And um, I really, and I, I keep reading each edition and love it. And I, I want you, I want, you know, want to give you some, I want to give you a lot of credit for that. But, you know, what can you tell the, the, the Converge Coffee audience here? Uh, what are some key takeaways um, from this book, from Branding Yourself? Um, I think one of the big ones is that uh, if you want to build a brand, you want to build it for the thing that you love to do the most. Um, or, you know, if it, if it can't be something that you are doing at work, either because it's, there's so many people doing it, like, um, I don't know, data entry or, uh, you know, customer sales. If it's, if you can't be known for something like that, uh, I should say customer service, uh, but if you can't be known for something like that, then be known for something that you love to do. So it could be uh, working on old cars or making uh, outdoor sculptures out of metal, or it could be cosplay or it could be, you know, uh, whatever. Just try to be known for that. So at the very least, when people search for you, they f- they can find you for whatever that thing is. And then this helps you stand out from the crowd of people who aren't really known for anything. They may have things they like to do, but when you search the name on Google, you don't find anything about them. The only thing worse than that is, uh, you know, people find out bad things about you. But if you want people to find out good and interesting things about you, focus on the thing that you love. Uh, In my case, I just happen to love writing, and I'm fortunate enough that that's my job, and so that's the thing that I focus on. But but if I were in... uh, you know, customer service or data entry, I would still want to be known for my writing. And that would be the thing that I would focus my brand on. So second most important thing, uh, I would say that when you're building up your social media presence, you want to have uh, your own blog and website as a place to drive people to. You don't have to be a a professional blogger or a constant blogger, but you at least want to have a website where you control the information and you are in charge of how it gets displayed. Uh, just in the last couple of days, Facebook has changed their newsfeed around so that business uh, stories and things that all these brands have been paying to have seen on Facebook, Facebook is now curtailing that. They're going to be showing less and less of that uh, to focus more on people's personal connections. That's fine as a as a user of Facebook. That's fine with me, but you know, considering Facebook has been telling people for you know telling companies for years, put all your eggs in our basket, and then they started charging for access to their audience. Uh, this is just one more example of Facebook kind of putting the screws to people that they previously tried to persuade to get there. But if you have your own blog. Uh, you don't fall prey to Facebook's ever-changing whims. If they decide that they're only going to post 
status updates that are uh, fewer than 50 words, you, you know, you're not blocked out of showing all of your articles and long messages and status updates. Or if LinkedIn decides that they are going to start charging people to put their articles on LinkedIn, you're not blocked out if you had, if you had tried to build up this big content presence on LinkedIn. So, you know, step number two or, or takeaway number two is just have a centralized hub that you control and that is your own. And then if I had to add a third, it would be uh, just pick one or two social networks to be strategic about and focus all of your energy on those. Don't try to be anywhere and everywhere that you can on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and, you know, whatever else is out there. Pick one, pick two, and you know, make sure those are the ones that your your audience that you want to reach the most. Make sure that's where they are, and then put all your energy into that. Oh, perfect examples there, and I, I've I've actually taken your advice on that. I think I kind of took one step further where I didn't, you know, writing blogs wasn't my passion. Um, it's, it's it's this podcast. It's more audio. It's 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 just where. It fits. So if you could tell anybody, you know, about branding yourself, um, what kind of content, and it could be in any form with audio, video, you know, writing, what, what would you kind of say to them to be consistent with those one or two channels? Well, and part of that has to do, and I think maybe most of it has to do with what you're most comfortable with. You know, for me, I'm most comfortable with writing. I'm not good at visual content. You know, I can't, I, I don't have uh, the same eye that some of my photographer friends do, like Paul D'Andrea and Josh, uh, Josh Humble, who, you know, they compose pictures in their mind. You know, as soon as they stick the camera up to their face and click it, that picture is almost perfectly composed. I can't do that. So that's not my medium. Uh, other people, they think in sound. And, uh, you know, you listen to podcasts like Radio Lab, uh, those people think in sound. and they tell their stories with more than just voices. Uh, so if that's, you know, that's where you're comfortable working, that's what you do. For me, it's, it's all in the written word. So, so you have to be comfortable with the means of production because then you're able to produce your content without really thinking about it. But if you're a photographer who's being forced to write, that writing is always going to be a struggle, and that struggle is going to show in your work you know, it's it's just not going to sound good. Uh, but then also you're going to resent it and not really want to do it that often. And if you're a writer who's forced to take pictures, your pictures aren't going to be that good. People aren't going to like them as much, and you're just going to get frustrated. So, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And so kind of going back to your your, your power strength with, with writing and where you feel your natural fit, you know, how has writing this book, helped you with your brand? Um, it, we were lucky in that early on in 2009, 2010, there weren't that many social media books. And so we we got to be sort of the, the creators of what social media branding looked like. There was one other personal branding book, but it was sort of geared at college students. Uh, you know, we figured the audience uh, was a little young when there was a chapter in there on how to dress for interviews. 
and we decided that we weren't going to we, we weren't going to write for that crowd because all of the uh, you know all of the stuff that we would see on personal development, professional development, uh, you know, going all the way back to books that I was reading in the eighties, uh, they were all focused on college students. Nobody was focused on that thirty year old who who's had a couple of jobs and is working in a cubicle farm and wants to get out of it. So we decided we were going to uh, reach older, you know, just older professionals, uh, more seasoned professionals. And so, uh, you know, we figured that was Kyle's age. Although Kyle was, you know, like 25 when he wrote it, but, um, and I was something, what, gosh, 40. <laughs> I was just say something. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to think about it. Um, but we wanted to we wanted to reach that that twenty eight year old that forty year old and show them how to find life beyond the cube farm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so I've I've done I've read your book you know several times and uh, I've also you you send me um, some really great um, storytelling articles. But I think the one thing that a lot of people don't know when they they read your writing is that. Um, or if they do, if they do read your writing, is that um, you add um, this subtle, really good, subtle sense of humor in a lot of your writing, and that, that and, and in professional writing in a book, a lot of people um, see that as a bit unusual, or um, they don't expect it. And so, um, when you're when you're working with publishers, I think if you know, just in the sense of you know, if a podcaster was working with a um, you know radio or you know a, a videographer was working with with television and that kind of stuff how do you manage your own personality and your and your creative work with um you know someone like a publishing company that that reads that and they're like i don't know if that's you know if they if they try to edit it you know how do you how do you stand firm on what you say well and, and it's funny when I when we first did the uh, Twitter marketing for dummies, we tried to uh, to use Twitter conversations. You know, we would make up these Twitter conversations between Kyle and me, and just drop them into the book. Well, uh, they took them out because these weren't professional. You know, when did it stop being okay to have a little bit of fun at work? I'm not talking about you know giant clown feet no squeaky nose but you know why can't we have fun at work why can't we crack a smile it's like everybody's just so damn serious and uh work means no fun and and so you know they did that on Twitter clown marketing. socks under your dress stuff like yeah just a little <laughs> bit of fun yeah yeah and and so you know you, it's noticeable when people do that you know when they wear funny looking socks to work it's like Oh my God, that violates every business expectation. And just people just get so stuck on that. And so Wiley took it out. And uh, that's when we decided that this new book, we wanted to find a new publisher. And so when we went to uh, Pearson and uh, met with our editor, Catherine, we met her. Uh, and and I think maybe despite meeting us, she still wanted to publish us. Um, but we were just goofy. You know, we were just a couple of kids, and she got our sense of humor right away. And she was sort of that, that you know, rolling her eyes, big sister type to us. Uh, and and we were never, you know, mean and terrible and inappropriate. But we were, she was always like, oh, God, you guys. That was her attitude. So she knew what she was getting. 
And we told her, we want our personality to come through in this book. We want to have fun uh, and make jokes. And that's important to us. And so we had that conversation early on. And so there we got to do those Twitter conversations. And these, you know, these conversations, when you read them, they are tied into the narrative, the text that you've been reading, but they don't add to it. It's only just that, you know, that quick humorous aside, uh, you know, sort of that parenthetical comment that you give during a conversation or when you're giving a presentation and then you, something pops into your head that's slightly funny and you say that. That's what that was. Um, or we have uh, in the in the chapter on public speaking, we use the line, uh, Kyle and, and we always refer to ourselves in third person in the book. Kyle and Eric uh, both have the heart of a teacher. Kyle keeps it in a jar under his bed. And they left that. They left that in the book. And uh, we were like, oh, this is wonderful. So what's great about the humor in the book is that that's what everybody remembers. They, you know, they remember the lessons, but the things that stand out and the things that I hear about the most uh, are the jokes. And that helps people remember the material better. Uh, and it makes the reading much more interesting and not so dry and boring. I love it, Eric. Yeah. And I, and I got the jokes too. And that's how I, I think that's how um, our relationship started out with after I read the book, I knew what I was getting into with our, our, our coffee meetings and that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Well, and I even, <laughs> I, mean, that's a great way. I mean, Oh, go ahead. I, I was saying, I even use humor in my, my own blogging. Uh, you know, when you visit my uh, blog at uh, problogservice.com, uh, the articles all have some element of humor. They're not humor articles, but there's a joke or a, a funny aside in there once or twice. So uh, again, it just makes it more relatable. And I've had, in fact, I had a chance to do a reading in Pensacola, Florida last November because the guy who found me read my work blog, saw the, the humor in there, and he said, do you do more of this? because I'm, I'm putting together a reading and I said, are you kidding? I've got an entire blog filled with nothing but this. And I directed him toward my humor column. He's like, Oh, that's what I was looking for. But, but he, he wanted to get me to this reading just based on my business writing, which was funny. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's, that's really awesome. So we are kind of going through here with, um, you know, you know, with your own personal brand, how to how to work with people to to almost amplify your brand to, to other people of you know getting a book published and that kind of stuff. But kind of looking back in retrospective, when you kind of first started, you know, how do you work with a co-author? Um, for one thing, and is it easier or harder to write a book with a co-author? Uh, it can be both. Um, for one thing, the nice thing about having co-authors, work gets cut in half. So when you write a business book with Wiley or with Pearson, they tend to give you a, a four-month production schedule. You divide the book up into fourths, and at the end of each month, they want that fourth of the, of the book. And so in a 16-chapter book, you give them four chapters at the end of each month. That's about one chapter a week. You get a co-author, you cut everything in half. So that's the easy part. The hard part 
could be who works on what material. Now, uh, I got lucky both in this case and uh, with no bullshit social media with Jason Falls. Uh, we both had chapters we each wanted to write, and there was really no crossover. I think, you know, in both cases, there was like one or two chapters we both wanted to do. And it was like, well, I'll take this one if you take that one. And, uh, and you know, the other person said, yeah, that's fine, whatever. So there was, there was nobody who was like dead set on, I have to do this chapter or I refuse to do this chapter. So it just lined up. And, and I think I got fortunate in both those cases. The hard part is making sure the voices match up. So Kyle and I had a similar enough writing style uh, that, uh, that we could match it up. And I think Kyle made his fit mine a little bit more, but on uh, no bullshit social media, Jason and I have a similar writing style, but, but he kind of froze up for a bit and he thought, well, I'm writing a book, so it needs to sound smart. And, uh, you know, I just did my typical kind of Hemingway-esque blogging writing style. And the, and the first set of chapters we turned in for that, they sent it back and said, this sounds completely different. These are, we can tell two different people wrote these chapters. So please do it again. And so the first section we sent in, they made us rewrite. And so I kind of elevated what I was doing and Jason lowered what he was doing. And we met in the middle and turned those back in. And they said, okay, that's fine. And then we continued on. So we ended up adding another month to our whole production schedule, but we were still able to get it out on time. That, that's really good insight here. Um, I, I don't know about the production book, but that was my first question: was uh, the messaging of all of it? Is you know how do you how do you have a consistent voice? How do you have a consistent message? Um, so you know, well, I think it's important. To, um, hmm? I, I was saying I think it's important to to know your voice and to recognize your voice. And so if you've been writing for a little while, you should have an idea of what you sound like, you know, not not verbally out loud, but what is your tone and what kind of language do you use? And do you, you know, do you use contractions or not? Do you sound uh, fun and conversational? Do you sound informal and authoritative? And so you should at least have a good handle on that. And then if you're gonna work with a co-author, can they match that or can you match them? So I think if you have that discussion in advance and agree that this is what you're going to do, uh, that solves a lot of the problem. So switching gears here, um, away from kind of book writing, but more just in writing in general. So you do, you do ghost writing for people. And, um, you know, you told, you told me a great story about a mystery shopping agency and can, and, can you tell me about the growth and then how did you fit um, the language of the owner to the ghostwriting material? Okay, so this was a, a mystery shopping agency. Uh, they basically hire shoppers to go and do shops for uh, clients like, uh, you know, a large pizza chain. Uh, you know, the chain hires the agency, the agency hires the shoppers to go in, buy a pizza, uh, maybe visit the bathroom, record the transaction, write a little report, and send all that information back to the agency, and the agency turns around so and sends that What's the transaction in the bathroom or in the pizza joint? Because I'm a little confused. 
No, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. No transactions. <laughs> Those are. I, I think you should have put like comma. <laughs> Uh, comma and pause there. I was like, "Wait a minute, what, which which transaction there?" Because <laughs> that's a pretty niche mystery shopping. But um, but when we started working with them back uh, around 2010, 2011, they were four people, and they were doing about seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in gross revenue. And uh, and so we started blogging for them. Uh, and just doing four posts a month, but that started boosting their search engine rankings, and they were being found uh, by the kinds of clients they were looking for because we were writing about mystery shopping and quick service restaurants, which is fast food, or fast casual restaurants, uh, or senior living facilities, or multifamily dwellings, or wireless stores, or and and we were hitting those same five. Uh, groups over and over but we were writing the same post for each group why do you need a mystery shopper at your quick service restaurant fast casual restaurant senior living multifamily dwelling wireless store and then the following month it was what can i expect from a mystery shopping visit at my etc 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 and so we were doing that over and over and over again and uh, uh our client was getting more calls more clients uh she was closing more deals and so she grew her staff uh she tripled her business in about a year and then she tripled it again then she got a million dollar national client and then she tripled it one more time all in about uh four and a half or five years uh i always make sure to explain that it was partly because of blogging um it wasn't because we were blogging I mean, that's what got her found and what helped people call her. But then I always make sure that, especially when, when she said, Oh, this is all you guys. I said, no, no, this is you closing deals. You're, you're a wonderful, wonderful person and people like you and you clearly know what you're talking about. And so you're closing all these big deals, but we did help her get found online. And, and so together we were able to grow her company to one of the biggest mystery shopping agencies in the industry. That's awesome, and I think that uh, entails your um, your idea of how to work well with one another, but with other people, but also understanding how they uh, what their voice is enough to when the customer reads something and then they go to the mystery shopping agency, they the expectation is already there, and it's like an easy almost a lead that you're handing them um, mm -hmm. with the language, and you're using her language, so. Now we're at the part of the episode, um, the getting to know about more about you, Eric. I mean, you're you're you own own you know own pro blog service. You write humor columns. This ninety four, been writing you know some books and everything. You're on a current book right now, but you know what what do you do creatively, um, you know, and that you bring back to work and you do in life. Um. Well, uh, I think sadly, my job and my sideline and my hobby all coincide. They're all writing. So, you know, I write for work. Uh, I help people write books, and I do that as a as a freelance uh, co-author basis. And then I write humor columns, and I write fiction, uh, and I do that for fun. So, you know, other than that, uh, kind of the, the other things that I do for enjoyment, uh, I like to do woodworking. And so... 
you know, I like to putter around in the garage and, uh, as I like to say, turn big wood into little wood. Um, or, you know, the benefit of living in you Orlando. You just like to is my sand family. things down, don't you? <laughs> yeah, just take a piece of plywood and see how long it takes to make a toothpick. Um, no, I'll build like a, a workbench or a, a chest or, uh, you know, not furniture grade. It's more like wood shop, workshop grade stuff. Uh, last month, I built a, a chest uh, that basically the, the parameter was it had to be big enough to hold two milk crates. And so I didn't do a lot of measuring with tape measures. It was all, you know, cutting and measuring and putting blocks of wood in place to see how big things had to be. So it was it was a fun little exercise. And I had two large pieces of scrap plywood left from uh, when I built my workbench that I was able to build this chest out of it. Uh, so I just I like doing fun stuff like that. Um, yeah, being in Orlando, we like to. Keep your mind yeah. off the, the immediate task. Yeah, I'm just yeah. the same way. Like, you think. And so, so we also go to Disney World. a lot. <laughs> yeah, oh, just, yeah. So, yeah, you're down in Orlando, so. <laughs> yep. So we, we go. I think the first inter- oh, go ahead. <laughs> uh, we, we go a couple times a month, and, um, you know, we've got annual passes. Uh, and you know, we'll go to the International Arts Festival, uh, you know, at Epcot, or we'll go to the Food and Wine Festival or the Flower Show or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, we especially like to go to Epcot and Hollywood Studios. And, uh, we actually know some people who work at the parks. And so we try to go when they're doing a performance and, and watch them, support them, that kind of thing. Yeah. So the last thing, last question is what do you do health wise to, you know, I know you, you, you've mentioned to me, you watch people walk, but come on, Eric, like, do you, do, do you walk, is it walking around Epcot? I mean, you know, who, what else <laughs> that you can, you can what, get to I the, can, uh, the, the audience? I can get a good seven miles in walking around Epcot, uh, but I've started walking more, um, you know, just walking around the neighborhood and I've got the step counter on my phone and I, you know, try to make sure I get enough exercise in that way. And I'm, doing the low carb thing. Uh, I take two days off. In fact, today's one of those days and I already had an apple fritter. So that was a good day. But, um, <laughs> but health wise, I'm trying to do more than I have. Although I certainly used to do a lot more when I was much, much younger, had younger knees. Yeah. I understand. Uh, yeah. I've, I've talked to another friend and I'm, I'm a tall guy too, where, you have to remain skinny to so your knees don't, you know, get affected. And it's like your knees and your ankles and your shoulders are like kind of the biggest things to, to kind of worry about your joints. Yep. <laughs> yep. So yeah, I'm I'm 28 and I'm you know, I'm already feeling the age effects. I'm like crap. It's it sucks getting older, <laughs> but I'm getting wiser, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and uh, since the weather's cooled off here in Orlando, I keep meaning to pull my bike out and go for a ride. I used to race bikes a long time ago and uh, still have an old mountain bike. And uh, one of these days I want to pull that out and maybe I'll do that this weekend, pull it out and go tooling around and see what I can find. But otherwise it's just walking in the evening when, uh, when it's uh, cooler and uh, when it's like 60 the- out and here it's like 10 degrees, Eric, are you just trying to help well, today it was fifty. Yeah, tell you what, yesterday or a couple of days ago, it was down in the forties and thirties, and people were freaking out. 
there, we had a freeze warning two nights ago, and somebody who is who has only ever lived in Florida said, "Do I need to wrap my pipes to keep them from freezing because of this freeze warning?" And I I said, "Are you in Florida right now?" And she said, "Yes." And I said, "Then you're fine." I said, "So you really want to be safe." open the doors to your cabinets so the heat from your house gets into it. But I said, unless your pipes are outside and it drops below freezing for many, many hours, two hours of a freeze warning isn't going to do anything to your pipes. And she, you know, she didn't know this because they don't get this cold in Florida. So, uh, so, you know, what everybody's complaining about down here, you know, in Indiana, people are like, Oh, let's eat outside today. It's, it's 50 degrees. This feels wonderful. Yeah, it's just when we get to a negative 10 <laughs> for 14 days That's straight, it's going to like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, and and then, you know, here, it's 90 degrees from about May through October. And uh, it's, oh. it's terrible. I just, we treat it like winter. You just don't go outside uh, during the summer. Uh, that's the weather I love, though. Oh, God, it's terrible. It's awful. I just, I wilt. <laughs> I wilt whenever I'm outside for more than 10 minutes. Well, there you go, everybody. Don't go outside and wilt. That's Eric's health advice. So, <laughs> Eric, um, pleasure having you on again uh, on Converge Coffee here. Um, you know, everybody, uh, you know, check out Branding Yourself. Um, on all was like Amazon, everywhere else you could probably get it, or even contact Eric and he'll uh, he'll uh, send you a copy, you know, at a cost. I mean, because I mean that that the contest that I ran was over. So, but uh, yeah, it always a joy, Eric. Always a pleasure catching up uh, on these things and uh, learning more about what you're doing these days. And uh, always enjoy learning about uh, writing because. You've read my stuff. I'm not a writer. So. <laughs> yeah, you're getting there. I'm more of an editor. I just, I just accept yeah. it. I'm just an editor. I'll just, I'll just critique people and just, and just whip, whip the writers into shape. Yep. Every day and every way you're getting better and better. <laughs> and older and bad knees and everything else. And just watching people walk. Yep. Exactly. Thanks, Eric. Um, everybody, I hope you enjoyed the episode.